0: James 3, 13 to 18, heavenly wisdom, and actually heavenly wisdom only. This is what he means here because of what he's already stressed in the earlier part of the chapter and even in the whole letter. So now three thirteen to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. Interestingly, in verse 13, he begins with the question, Who among you is wise and understanding? Now, the moment we hear a question asked, what is the natural tendency? To open our mouth and answer, right? But here, after telling us, we have to be very careful and cautious about what we say, he's saying who among you is wise and understanding. In a sense, he's putting a test out there for us to keep quiet and to contemplate his question, but not to answer his question. Not to answer it in, a, in the sense of impulsively answer it, but to think about it and figure out where is true wisdom or who is truly wise and understanding. That's what he's trying to say here. And the proof of true wisdom is in demonstration. As he says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. If we are to make a claim or to have any association with true wisdom, it must be demonstrated. It must be manifested. If it's not manifested, then it's not real. This is what he has said from 119 all the way to 312. From 119 to 312. Let's go to 119 to 27, our first example. That this must be in the proof. This must be in demonstration. By show he doesn't mean show he means display it. It needs to be evident, obvious. One nineteen. this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, doer, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious... That may be compared to 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In chapter 2, to 7, he illustrates this in terms of partiality. If a rich man enters the assembly and we treat the rich man better than we treat the poor man, he says in verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? When we do that, when we show forth our behavior that way, it's evil, he's saying. In 2.14 to 26, 2.14 to 26, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? And again, uh, an issue of poverty or need in 2.15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. The faith is invisible unless it is seen in fruit. Unless it is seen in good behavior. Unless it's demonstrated. That's what he's saying here. It must be shown. Further, it's good behavior, by his good behavior. At this point, we have to remind ourselves, whenever the Bible says wise, whenever the Bible says good, we have to have the biblical definition of wisdom and the biblical definition of goodness, the biblical definition of love, the biblical definition of justice, Any words we use, whether biblical words or common words, we have to ask, well, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible, the Holy Bible, the Word of God say about it? We can't have our definition of wisdom or our definition of good or love or anything. It has to be the biblical definition. We're talking here about personal and practical virtues, but this also applies to the word God. The word Lord, the word Jesus, gospel, anything we say, anything we use. We have to have biblical meanings for the biblical words we use. So here he says good behavior. And this is necessary because some people will justify their behavior and call it good when it contradicts the Bible. And if it contradicts the Bible, then it's not good, it's evil. Then verse 14, having oh he says, in the gentleness of wisdom, we'll come back to this because he's going to mention gentleness again in verse 17. He says wisdom has gentleness attached to, to it. So gentleness, according to how he's using it, is the opposite of verse 14. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance, lies that which is earthly, natural, demonic, disorder, every evil thing. That's the opposite of the gentleness of wisdom. Also, keep your place here in James 3 and also in Matthew 5. Because in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 to 9, and even 5... Uh, chapter 5, 1 to 12, but particularly in this comparison of James three, thirteen to 18, we'll find that there are aspects of this section, Matthew 5, 3 to 9, that he is citing. Because he says, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The poor in spirit, throughout this letter, is he not confronting our pride? He's constantly confronting our pride and teaching us to be humble, such as Ch- James 4:10, "humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you." He says in Matthew 5:4, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." In James 4, James 4, verse nine, he says, "Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom." He's calling on repentance there. Matthew 5.5, 5, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. He says in James 3.13, The gentleness of wisdom. James 3.17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Then Matthew 5.6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what is it that he's taught in James? James 1, he says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James 1, 21, he says, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. We should desire this word of righteousness, hunger and thirst for it. J- uh, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. That's why in three seventeen he says that the true wisdom is full of mercy. Full of mercy. Matthew uh, 5. five eight, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, God's wisdom coming from heaven from above, 5, 317 of James, is first pure. So that which is pure wisdom from heaven comes to us and it comes and converts the heart and puts purity in the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He has mentioned peace in James 3, 17 and 18. He says... The wisdom from above is peaceable. Three eighteen, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the way wisdom is, according to uh, Matthew five three to nine, and here compares to James three thirteen to eighteen. That's true wisdom. First, now little bit more about the opposite. He'll teach the opposite, and the Bible does this often. It will compare and contrast that which is true to false, that which is of God, that which is of the devil, so forth. So here we have the exhortation in 3.13, then the explanation of evil or human wisdom, false wisdom in 14 to 16, and then true wisdom in 17 to 18. The exhortation in 3.13, false wisdom 14 to 16, true wisdom in 17 to 20. 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. When we have bitter jealousy happening in our midst, (laughs) that is evidence that there is no true wisdom in our midst. That's evidence of human wisdom or earthly, natural, (laughs) demonic wisdom, as he says in 15. People say that you can't judge me. You don't know my (laughs) motives. You don't know my heart. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know I have good intentions. When they say that, We do know their intentions. We do know what's in their heart because if bitter jealousy comes from what they're saying and doing, then we know it's earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom. We can judge it if it produces bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If selfish ambition is evident, if it comes to the surface and, and it's often the case, it's very clearly the case. People will say things, and they say things that have no place in a Christian heart. Right. They have no place in the heart, in the thought, let alone then the words and the actions. It shouldn't even happen. But when it does happen, then we can say, okay, we understand that's selfish ambition. For example... A pastor, when he's a graduate from the seminary, he finds a church, maybe the church has 25 or 50 people. And then he says, he says to himself, says to his wife, says to others, his friends, listen, uh, th- this is getting me nowhere. Uh, I-, I need to find a church that has 100 or 200 people. I need to find a church that has 100 or 200. And then once he's there for maybe a couple of years, then he says, you know what? I need to, uh, I'm better than this. I have a master's degree. I need to find a, a bigger church than this. Let me find one that's got 500 to 1,000. This is how it works. Yes, men in the ministry do this, and even women. Uh, <laughs> they, they do this. So this is, this is selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Why? Bitter jealousy. Because, well, my, my classmate in seminary, he's already pastoring a church of 500. I, I have this church of 50. I can't show my face to him at our annual meetings. This is the way people think. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. When it's in the heart, notice there, in the heart, he says, when, when we see this, He's clearly, throughout this letter, though he is confronting and railing against evil deeds, he's not saying it to the exclusion of where it starts. Right. He says, in your heart. He understands that. He knows that. People may take James to be completely about outward conformity, but that's not what he's doing. And then they will misunderstand Paul, To be merely about inward conformity, Paul doesn't stress obedience. James does. He stresses works. Paul stresses grace and faith. That's not true. They're distorting Paul and they are distorting James. He says, don't have this in your heart. This is where it starts. And humility, isn't that also something that starts in the heart? Everything. Um, He's saying throughout this letter, it has the internal and the external. Then, he says that if this exists, then there is arrogance. Here too, people say, you can't accuse me of being arrogant, of being proud. You're arrogant for calling me arrogant. (laughs) This is how arguments and quarrels go, right? And yet he says, I know you are arrogant. James is saying, my brethren in his endearing way, he's been saying, my brethren, my beloved brethren, he's saying, listen, if this is happening, then it's arrogance. It's arrogance. Somebody is arrogant because there's a conflict here. Arrogance, and so lie against the truth. There's the empty profession again. When he says lie against the truth, he means it such as in 2.14 to 26, because we claim to know the Lord, but we're not showing it by our works. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. So 2.18, showing the faith by the works. If we are showing evil deeds, we are lying about what's coming out of our lips. And not only are we lying to one another, but we are lying against the truth, right. which is the most egregious part of the lie. Because when we lie against the truth, and by the truth, he means the gospel, he called it in 18 the word of truth. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the word of the gospel. Colossians 1.5 calls the gospel <coughs> the word of truth. And so when he says the truth, we're lying against the gospel of Christ. And if we lie against the gospel of Christ, we're lying against Christ. We are defaming Christ. Luke six forty six. Mm-hmm. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Right. We're lying against the truth. 15, 315. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It's not heavenly wisdom from above. Verse 17, he says it again, but the wisdom from above is from above. 117, he says as well, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Coming from above means it's coming from heaven. And that's where all goodness comes. All wisdom comes. John 3, John 3, 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John three thirty one, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. We must have any wisdom, all wisdom that comes from heaven. So then, if it comes from heaven, it will not produce the actions of verse 14, the deeds of verse 14. And 15 says earthly wisdom is whatever is not from heaven is earthly, natural, demonic. Earthly, it has its origin on the earth, not from heaven, from above. It's natural, meaning it's coming from within, from the flesh. And it's also demonic. Demonic. It's demonic in that it's coming from Satan and his demons. In Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul speaks like this as well. The way we used to be, earthly, natural, demonic. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 2 says, We were walking according to the course of this world. That is the earthly, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's another name or title for Satan, who is also called the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Satan and the demons are working in disobedient people called sons of disobedience. And thirdly, verse three, the flesh, the lusts of our Flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Everything not from God is earthly, natural, demonic. It deserves to be crushed. It deserves to be beaten down. It deserves to be rejected. That's what we have to do. We have to consider it that way. Everything that isn't from God is worthless and must be crushed and destroyed. Verse 17, uh, 16, 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Jealousy and selfish ambition, where it exists, then there will also be disorder and every evil thing. Disorder. Not orderliness, but disorderliness. Right. And if it's got disorder, it's not from God. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14.40 1 Corinthians 14.40 But let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. All things properly and in an orderly manner. 1433, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Orderliness and peace propriety in everything that happens. Further, he says in 17, 3, James three seventeen, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Yeah. Remember we read Blessed are the pure in heart, for they <coughs> shall see God. Peaceable, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Reasonable, I'm sorry, gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, We'll come back to reasonable. He says, full of mercy, full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be they shall receive mercy. Now, this one on mercy, Matthew 6:14 and 15, he has more to say on mercy. Matthew 6:14 and 15. What does he mean by this mercy? For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. When men come to us repentant of their sins, we must forgive them. No doubt. Matthew 18, Matthew 18:21 18, to 35. Matthew 18:21 In this parable, Jesus is answering the question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? He illustrates with the master and the slave, and then he applies it. He applies it because the slave that was forgiven of his master, from his master, he did not forgive other slaves. So the master hears about this, and he says this, 1832. Then summoning him, his lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. In this passage, it is clear that the slaves, the slave was entreating or petitioning, asking for forgiveness. The other slaves were. And This wicked slave refused to forgive them. This slave was forgiven because he asked his master and the master forgave. So the mercy received here was on the basis of repentance or confession to one another. It was not automatic. But when that confession comes forth, then we should forgive. That's Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 18 here. That's what James means also. We must be full of mercy. When someone has displayed genuine repentance, we can't stiff arm him, throw him aside. We can't do that. We have to forgive. He says, uh, now I was dealing with All of those in Matthew 5. Now let me go back to the reasonable point. James 3, 17. God's wisdom is reasonable. That is, it's not going to be contrary to sense. It's not going to be contrary to reality. God's word, God's wisdom is going to comport with Reality. It will not contradict reality. If anyone reads the book of Proverbs, he will see that there are many obvious statements he makes there. Yep. Obvious statements about reality. And sometimes we're, we're saying to ourselves as we read, well, that's obvious. <laughs> well, but not to the fool. Not to the one who has false wisdom. It's not obvious. And even sometimes we say, well, that's not obvious. What is he talking about? So even for us, we have to overcome it. If it doesn't comport with reality, it is foolishness, not wisdom. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 10.3 Ecclesiastes 10.3 Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking. And he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If one had true wisdom, he would not walk along the road and show the world how stupid he is. Correct? Nobody does that purposely when he's thinking rationally and reasonably. He doesn't do that Nobody wants to make a public fool of himself when he's thinking reasonably or rationally. Ecclesiastes 10 12, 10, 12. and 13. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wicked madness. The beginning of his talk, the talk of a fool, it is folly. There is foolishness in it, but it gets to such an an extent that it's wicked madness. The man doesn't know what reality is. He's not talking straight. He's not thinking straight. He doesn't see what I see right in front of his very eyes. Who does that but a madman, an insane man, somebody who doesn't have his right mind? But God's wisdom is that which comports to the evidence, the real evidence and the biblical evidence, the historical evidence and scriptural evidence. The scripture will not distort history and history will not undermine the Bible. The two work together and that one who has true wisdom will be reasonable and be able to put the two together to understand what happened in relation to what's in the Bible and to use the Bible's heavenly wisdom to interpret the events. 3.17 says that heavenly wisdom is also full of good fruits. Good fruits. He Use the, an adjective, good, because there is rotten fruit. There's good fruit, and there is bad fruit or rotten fruit. Our Lord said this in Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 15. 7, 15 and following. We'll read 15 to 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. We'll know them by their fruits. We can identify the kind of tree it is by what it produces. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, 7 and 8. Hebrews 6, 7, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. He shows here that there is a a kind of ground that brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled. That kind of soil receives a blessing from God. But there's another kind of growth in the ground, thorns and thistles. If the ground produces thorn bushes, then it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. That's not good fruit because you can't eat it. Okay. You can't eat the thorns, no. right? You only get hurt. Only get hurt. <laughs> Having said this, he says good fruits. We have to also understand that temporary fruit is not good fruit. Right. Temporary fruit is not the good fruit that the Bible means. It might be good for a moment. It might be good for a short time. But that's not the good definition James means. Because James believes in perseverance or endurance, steadfastness of faith, true faith. And to illustrate, we go to Luke 8. Luke 8. In the parable of the sower, Jesus announces it in Luke 8, 4 to 8. Then he explains it in 9 to 15. We'll pick up the explanation. Luke 8 and verse 9. 8, 9. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it is granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables. In order that seeing... They may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast. And bear fruit with perseverance. In this parable, only the fourth soil, the fourth ground, was the good heart with the good fruit. Right. The first three were not. The first three are illustration, illustrations of what commonly happens whenever people meet, when whatever. Word they hear from the Bible whenever they hear people hear sermons, generally speaking, the first three kinds of reactions are what commonly happen. And in verse 12, he said, The roady soil, it says, They all had the word heard, but it says, The devil takes away the word from the heart. So that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, so hearing the word and it being understood for a short time inside their heart is not to be equated with belief and salvation, according to verse 12. Verse 13 the rocky, the rocky soil, they receive the word with joy. And some will say, aha, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, in five, Galatians 5, it, it's a fruit of the Spirit. But here, it's not a fruit of the Spirit in that it's not an enduring joy. It's not a lasting one. And we know he means it that way because in 14, he says, no fruit to maturity. No fruit to maturity. In verse 15, he says, the fourth had an honest and good heart Hold it fast, bear fruit with perseverance. All of those descriptions of, verse fi- of of the fourth soil in verse 15 do not fit verses 12, 13, and 14. Right. They don't fit the roadie. They don't fit the rocky of the joy. So the joy he's talking about here is a fickle joy. But the Holy Spirit does not issue fickle joy. Nope. Temporary joy, he doesn't do that. And he also says in 13, there's no firm root. If there's no firm root, then there's going to be no fruit. No root, no fruit, right? And he says too, 13, they believe for a while. Yep. Believing for a while is contrasted with 15 Honest, good heart, hold it fast, bear fruit with perseverance. It's the opposite. And 14, the thorny soil, choked with worries, riches, pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. They might have a little bit of fruit just barely coming out on the stem, but no fruit to maturity. You can't pluck it, you can't eat it, it won't do any good. It might be very bitter, supposed to be sweet, but it may be a bitter, you can't use it. So these are not good fruits. Only the fourth one, honest, good heart, bear fruit with maturity, with perseverance. That's what he means here by good fruits, the way the Bible means it. 3.17, 3.17, it's unwavering. James 3.17, unwavering. Yeah. In James 1, 1, 1.5 to 8, he speaks of unwavering faith. 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. True faith accompanied with true wisdom is not driven and tossed by the wind, it does not let the doubts swerve and turn him. He's not double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Right. James four eight. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right. James five five nineteen. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we must be unwavering, <coughs> determined, unflinching, secure, persevering, steadfast in faith, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Acts eleven twenty three. That's the way we should be. Without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. That's what he's preaching against. This is what the Bible preaches against. Jesus preached against it with the scribes and the Pharisees. The great prophets, Isaiah to Malachi, they are constantly preaching against hypocrisy. People who show up to worship God but live a wicked life the rest of the time. That's hypocrisy. Yep. He's saying we should not be that way. We can't make a profession and not live up to the uh, profession. Our professions should be true confessions. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, he says, 1.22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. First Peter two one to three. First Peter chapter two verses one to three. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. No hypocrisy. All hypocrites go to hell. Matthew 23:33. Lastly, he says in James 3:18, "The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." The fruit, the righteous fruit that will be manifested that will be the produce, is only that seed sown in peace by those who make peace. It has to be, like Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It has to be a peacemaking kind of seed sown in peace. Not sown in contention and strife, but sown in peace peacemakers sowing peace peacemakers sowing peace in a peaceful way not in a contentious way but in a peaceful way right. then if the peacemakers are sowing it in peace then the fruit is righteousness that we ought to be this way Romans 12:9 Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Philippians 2, Philippians 2 verse 1, Philippians 2 verse 1, we'll read 1 to 18, Philippians 2 1, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, Children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering <coughs> upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In 19 to 30, he illustrates this kind of godly, humble, peaceful behavior toward one another in Timothy and Epaphroditus. In 219, Timothy, and in 225 and following, Epaphroditus. In these examples of those whose fruit The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We must be peacemakers, peacefully sowing the seed. Then we are practicing heavenly wisdom. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.